Hawks can't complete the comeback against the reigning champs. They made the plays down the stretch in the overtime. Big plays. Welcome into the Hawks Report. I'm Daniel Salerson. Lauren Williams will join in momentarily. On today's podcast, Lauren will chat with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks as they preview this week's four-game West Coast swing and plenty more. A tough road trip begins with a tough opponent in the Golden State Warriors. I'll tell you all about it next on the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. For the second time in three games, the Hawks lose on the final possession of the ball game. It took four quarters and two overtimes for the Warriors to defeat the Hawks 143-141, thanks to a Kayvon Looney tip-in at the buzzer. Head coach Nate McMillan says tonight's loss came down to missed opportunities to close out the game down the stretch. You know, we had an opportunity to uh, rebound the basketball game, possession of that. Uh, We didn't do that. They hit a three, which goes into overtime. Uh, A couple loose balls. And then the last possession of the game, uh, Looney gets a tip in. You know, we, you got to get that rebound. You know, so it comes down to making plays, and uh, they made more plays than we did. Atlanta once again had six players in double figures, all scoring 16 or more points, led by Trey Young's 30. Clay Thompson knocked down 10 threes for the second time this season on his way to 54 points. The Hawks were down by 17 at the half and outscored the Warriors 42 to 25 in the third to get back in the ball game. Trey Young on the slow start in quarters one and two. I mean, Clay did what he's done his whole career. I mean, got hot, um, and they got too far ahead in the first half for us to really fight back and take a big enough lead to, that you need to to beat this type of team at home. So I think we did a really good job in the second half, fighting our way back into it and making it a game. But uh, that first half really really hurt us. The tip in by Looney gave him a career high 20 rebounds. 11 of those came on the offensive glass, while the Hawks only had 10 as a team. Hey, Lauren, how big of a factor was the Hawks' lack of rebounding in Monday's loss? Yeah, Daniel, Monday night's game honestly came down to the battle on the boards. Now, the Hawks ended up being out-rebounded 69-53 to by the Warriors, and, and some of that happened down the stretch. Now, in about the final two minutes, the Hawks gave up about five offensive boards to Kevon Looney in a minute stretch, and then... In the final nine seconds of the game, they ended up giving up two offensive rebounds. First, one to Jordan Poole, and then to Dante DiVincenzo after DeJounte Murray blocked uh, Jordan Poole's attempt to go ahead in regulation, or to tie the game, excuse me, at the end of regulation. Now, the game ended up going over to overtime and then eventually went to double overtime, and the Hawks got beaten twice on the boards in the final seconds of double overtime and ended up falling to the Warriors 
143 to 141. Atlanta drops to 17 and 20 on the season, but still remain in ninth in the Eastern Conference standings. The Hawks will stay in California during the entire four-game trip, taking on the Sacramento Kings on Wednesday night. Don't forget to check out the Hawks after the game pages in the AJCE paper and online at AJC.com, which is only available if you subscribe at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. Okay, Lauren, take it away. All right. Thanks, Daniel, for that recap. Today, we are joined by a really, really fun guest who I know you guys all love. We've got Brad Rowland in the building, not really in the building, but at least here in front of us um, in our studio. Brad, welcome to the Hawks Report. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate you inviting me on, and it's good, always good to talk to you about Hawks basketball. Always good. Um, so Brad is joining us from Locked on Hawks. I, I'm sure you guys all tune in to his show every single day. But, you know, I want to have, have Brad here just to talk about everything that has been happening over the last two weeks. Uh, the Hawks are not exactly meeting expectations. Um, there have been a lot of things happening, not just on the court, but also in the front office. Um, so Brad, I think I want to kind of start off by asking you what has been the biggest surprise in this last two week stretch for you? Oh, yeah, it's, it's been a roller coaster. Like I know you've, uh, you are well aware at this point, you know, the, the on-court results are not the best, which is, you know, most of what people really care about. If we're being honest on the outside, if the Hawks were winning, the vibes would be better. I think we, everybody kind of knows that. Um, but between the reporting about, you know, the off-court stuff in the front office with Travis stepping down and also uh, this latest round with Nate uh, pondering resignation publicly, uh, I think that my number one answer is probably the biggest surprise being when the Travis thing happened. Not that it happened, but that it happened in December. That was kind of a surprise to me. So I'll go with that. But uh, there are lots of options for this answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would agree with you on there. I think we all kind of saw the writing on the wall as far as, you know, Landry stepping into the big chair. We knew that was coming, but I think we were all, as you said, very surprised that that things happened now. So it doesn't give me a lot of confidence just because, you know, Travis was the guy who was responsible for the roster that ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals um, a couple of years ago. And for him to kind of step back, um, I mean, what does that tell you about what direction the front office is trying to move in now? It's interesting because, you know, on one hand, we'll never fully know what's going on behind the scenes. And that's something that I always want to say out loud. Even people that are super plugged in, like we never really know everything. Um, but, you know, I think generally speaking, just having that uncertainty, having that upheaval in the middle of a season that, you know, by all accounts, there was some pressure uh, internally to win this year. And that was something Tony said on the record over the summer. Um, nobody shot away from it. And, you know, because of the expectations being high and then making a big swing with DeJounte Murray and all of that, all that stuff, combine that with the, you know, not great performance to this point. And now you have a change at the highest level of the front office, plus the head coaching thing. I mean, even that list I just rattled off is such a long list of things. It's such a long list. But it's just like the way that I would describe it is like it's kind of a mess. And that's a very broad term, but it also kind of gives you the right picture of what it feels like on the outside. And what I've heard it is like on the inside, it's kind of just a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, now there's reporting that you know, multiple people left the front office uh, besides Travis in the last couple of weeks. That adds to some of the upheaval, too. So, yeah, I think that 
generally, it's not like it's the end of the world. The organization is not going to fold in the next few days. Uh, if they start winning, people will be feeling better, I'm sure. But it just feels like there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, this is again so general, but like the, the vibes are just kind of bad, like all the way yes. around from the roster on that, from the roster on up, I should say. Mm -hmm. I would, I would agree with you. I mean, I would say prior to the Travis stuff happening, I never felt like the vibes were that terrible. I, I thought that things were obviously not great, but it was something that they could weather. They could, they could move past, especially if they kind of worked on their consistency, which is something that they've just struggled with on the court. But now with the upheaval, you know, three front office people um, being let go from from their positions. I mean, when I spoke with somebody in the front office, they just said, you know, it was just time to move on, move in a different direction, which to me tells me that they're pivoting completely away from what Travis kind of started. And so now we just have to find out what is this new direction? And I don't think that has completely become clear, especially because one, we don't know what this team is. They haven't shown us who they are, which was one of their biggest goals when they started this season. I mean, they they publicly said that they want to be one of the scrappiest teams. They want to be a team that competes night in and night out. And they just haven't done that. They're 17 and 19. They're ninth in the Eastern Conference. Just a couple of a couple and a half of games above that 12th spot, which is out of the playing situation. And it's not where you want the Hawks to be. And obviously they've had to deal with a lot of injuries. Obviously they waited a really long time for Bogdan Bogdanovich to come back. And then they dealt with a couple of injuries with Trey Young being in and out of the lineup. Then they lost DeAndre Hunter and John Collins. DeAndre Hunter came back. Then um, John Collins came back. Then Clint Capella went down <laughs> and then DeJounte Murray went down and then uh, Clint came back and it's just been everybody's been in and out of the lineup and they've just not gotten that chance to really find that spark that would be appropriate at this time of the season that they need to find it now. Um, and so obviously you don't want to blame it on just the injuries themselves. Obviously that lends itself to some of that consistency inconsistencies that we've been talking about, but just everybody as a whole from the top of the roster down from Trey Young all the way down to some of those guys in that third unit, they just have not shown anything good consistently. And that's kind of, to me, where the issue lies. And and from your perspective, Brad, is that a coaching thing or is that um, this is the roster that he was given and he's trying to make the best. And when I say he, Nate McMillan is trying to make the best of a situation that's in front of him. I generally think that most of the time the roster and the players are more important than NBA head coaching is. I think you go, you go down a level or two, coaching matters more in college, for instance. I think that there are coaches that make a difference positively or negatively in the NBA. I'm not saying otherwise, but I generally think like there's a big middle ground. Like most coaches, like they're kind of not the same overall but they kind of they kind of do uh, have the same impact a similar impact i think nate's kind of yeah. in the middle overall it's kind of yeah. what i always use what i always say there but um i think the combination of this roster having some challenges uh especially with depth you talk about the injuries the hawks have not been that banged up this year like if you look at it only bogey has missed more than nine games and that's you know, nine games is a lot out of 36, but they haven't been like totally stricken by injuries this year. Um, but this is a roster that's, that kind of can't withstand almost any injuries. Like if they're full strength, they're pretty good. We, I think we, we kind of know that at this point, but um, they're, you know, it's not realistic in the NBA to expect to be full strength all the time. Like you're just never going to be 
100% all the way there. Um, and I think coaching can be can sort of bridge the gap. I think Nate's not done, not done a perfect job by any means. I think that he's kind of a mismatch with this roster in a lot of ways. I think this is an offense first team. It probably needs a little bit more innovation to kind of integrate Trey and DeJounte. And Nate's not known for his innovation. He's more of an old school guy. He has some strengths, but he's all about like the consistency and all that stuff. And I think he's not really an innovator on offense. So that's where I'd point to that if you're looking for a coaching faux pas, I would say it's because he's not getting the most out of his offense right now. I think this this roster, as long as Trey is healthy, this is too good of an offense to be where they are in the in the offensive rating standings, for instance. But I think a lot of it is also the roster. Like the roster's not, especially the lack of depth really does hurt you when you have to play guys that you probably shouldn't have to play uh, on a team that's trying to win. This is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I just want to take this time to thank everyone who subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com it's, it's what makes all of this possible. Now, if you aren't a subscriber, that's okay. You can subscribe at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. I agree. And, and we actually ended up talking about this a little bit on, I believe it was Wednesday before that Nets game where we were talking about, okay, you know, guys like Jalen Johnson, in theory, you know, he, he would have had like maybe one other year to kind of like be back on the bench and, and, and develop and everything like that. But one, they didn't have that, uh, I guess, proven backup power forward to kind of put in the lineup behind John to really, really give them a solid, like a solid chance on the bench unit. So now you have Nate thinking about moving John. And, and even at some points he said, uh, Deandre Hunter kind of being that backup power forward. And, and it's kind of like, um, you want your, th- I understand wanting to kind of be able to move guys around, but now that means that you're playing your starters 36, 37, 38 minutes on an on a nightly basis. And that's just never sustainable. And so for a team that has a lot of problems with injuries, especially two guys like DeAndre Hunter and John Collins, you would have thought that they would have, I don't know, been, had a little bit more forethought with how they were kind of filling out the roster, especially since they moved on from Kevin Herter, who isn't necessarily going to be a defensive presence, but at least he's continuing to give that second unit offense. And and that's something that they struggled with, especially at the beginning of the season when they didn't have bogey in the rotation. I mean, they 
they, as we talked about too, lucked out with AJ being as good as he is at 19 years old, but that's not going to be a situation that you can rely on every single night because again, AJ is only 19 years old. (laughs) And now we're at the point where he's kind of hit that rookie wall. And it's not that his shots don't look good necessarily, but they're no longer falling. And so now they're again in that position where, all right, they kind of start to bring DeJounte off of the floor and and start to move that, that bench unit in and the offense just kind of drops off. Then you see, Trey, Trey Young starting to try and take over because the offense has fallen and, and he can't really figure out, um, you know, who the best option is. I mean, he's tried to turn to bogey, but bogey's kind of had some struggles to start games in the most recent stretch. And so I think, you know, they're at the point where I personally think that they really need to to make a little bit of a splash at the trade deadline. But when we when we talked on Wednesday, the assets that they have, if you trade them away, that arguably makes them worse. <laughs> so, yeah. so what, what, what do they do? Yeah, it's interesting because you know, obviously, John Collins is the guy everybody always talks about being available in trade, and I think that that, that is true. He's available, and they, but they're also asking for a lot for him. He's been he's been available for so long that that's that's why he's still on the team. Is that they 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 understand that he's good, and they understand that if they trade him for you know a less than great package, they're going to get worse, and they don't want to get worse. And it's this weird situation where they're they're walking that tightrope where they don't want to get worse, but they also are worried about money and future future money in particular and luxury tax and all that. Um, they do have their own first round pick if they wanted to trade it this year um, for the for the last time for a while. Uh, the rest of the rest of their picks are kind of encumbered because of the Murray trade. So if they want to be aggressive, you would think now is the time. But it's also kind of hard to go out and buy when you're 17 and 19. Like if they, if they were to, if they were to go on a run in the next five weeks before the deadline, then it becomes easier to kind of be, to kind of be a buyer. But there's probably a broader discussion to be had a month from now on like, should they even try to buy? Like maybe, yeah. maybe they almost sell because it's like, all right, maybe this is not the season that we hoped it was going to be. Let's kind of repivot, not tear it down by any means, but more right. like a, re- a repositioning. And because I would have a hard time if I was in that front office, if they were, let's say 500 a month from now, it's kind of hard to justify pushing further in right now when it comes to uh, using that pick as a, as a trade chip, et cetera. So I think they definitely need just more depth overall. I think the number one, the number one issue on this roster I would probably point to is the lack of depth beyond the top seven or eight. I think AJ being a quality eighth has been really helpful, like you said, but you know, beyond that, they've gotten kind of very little. I think Aaron holiday has been pretty solid in his role, but beyond that, it's not been it's not been great for the uh, for the deeper bench guys, and especially if you miss a a player every once in a while, or maybe two yeah. guys at a time. Like you have to have someone step up, and that's kind of the number one issue. Because I guess you could say, what's the biggest weakness on this roster? Like they don't really have. If everyone is healthy, that's a giant yeah. if. They don't have a yeah. huge gaping hole, but it's the next step beyond those seven or eight guys where it gets mm-hmm. it gets dicey. I mean, I mean, we know Nate likes to keep his rotations pretty tight as well anyway. So I, I, I guess I understand in theory now why maybe they constructed the roster that they did. But they were just banking on guys who have historically not always been the healthiest guys all season long um, to stay healthy based off of a off of their offseason, which started earlier because they got knocked out of the playoffs um, so soon. But. Yeah, I I will say 
I've liked Aaron Holiday for the most part this season. It, again, it goes back to that cons- inconsistency. It's like some nights he's been phenomenal and you're like, oh, he's doing everything right. And then he'll have nights where you're like, get him, get him off the floor. He's actually more of a liability, kind of like that Houston game uh, back in November. But, you know, he's had a much better stretch since then, especially um, you know, when Murray was out of the the rotation, they had to lean on him a little bit more as that backup guard. Uh, and I think he kind of got back into a rhythm there. But I, I think, too, we can all obviously point to some of this team's inconsistency coming down to what happens with their star guard. If their star guard is playing well, then it seems like everything is going well. If he's not, and and when I say well, I don't mean he's going out and getting his average 25, 26 points in a night situation performance, but I mean, he's playing efficiently. He's moving the ball and finding the right options. Um, you know, he's engaged on defense on, on almost every possession that he's on the floor defensively, as opposed to kind of hanging back when he doesn't get a call that he he doesn't like and and watches from the from the sidelines or from the from the backcourt there. So it's just, I mean, where do they go with, I guess, trying to either get him to to play more consistently, like we know we like we've seen him play before, or is it a matter of he's no longer bought into what this roster is? Yeah, that's the that's the big question is like how much of Trey's struggling and again, it's, it sounds so weird to say a guy struggling when he's averaging 27 and 10. Like, right. <laughs> and that's the thing. I, I try. I, I do those like daily, you know, almost a daily podcast. And it's like, yeah, it's hard to say Trey didn't play well when he has 28 and 10. And I always get a response like, wait, he got 28, he had 29 and 13. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, I get it. But that's just the standard that he's now holding himself to and what he's held to. He's he's their best mm-hmm. player. And he's having his worst season since he, since he was a rookie so far. And they they kind of can't afford that because of everything else yep. that's going on. Um, he's not been efficient. And yeah, the, the highs are super high. His passing is still incredible. He's still really, really good, but he's not, um, he's not making shots for one. I think, I think he, that's the one thing he has acknowledged on the record a few times that he's got to make more shots. And that's pretty clear. But even then the buy-in aspect, I'm glad you put it that way is like, I think defensively, he's never going to be good. We kind of know that. No, we but know there that. Are, yeah. but, there are, but there are degrees as well. I think that he, you can tell if you watch him closely, and that's part of our job is to do that. Like you can tell even quarter to quarter, like when he's kind of bought in and when he's not, and when he's kind of dialed in and when he's not. And he always has weaknesses, but he'll have a good quarter every once in a while defensively. And, and you notice when he's active and he's getting his hands in there, he's got good hands and he'll be in the right place. And then he'll, he'll have a half where it's like, man, what is going on? Like the Indiana exactly. game was the one example that I'll use where he was not alone. I'll be very clear about that. <laughs> Everybody was bad in the Indiana game Everybody. pretty much. But his defense with the Indiana game was like, come on, man, like this is not going to yeah. work. That's And they can't. They can't, we can't withstand that. So I think it's very obvious to say that he has to be better for them to be what they want to be, but he has to be better for them to be what they want to be. And um, that's only one part of it, but it's like the Hawks being in the, you know, in the bottom half of the league on offense is like, honestly, kind of unthinkable when he's mm-hmm. been as healthy as he's been. I know he's missed some games. I think he's missed four of the 36 games this year, but mm-hmm. if you told me preseason, the Hawks are going to be 22nd or whatever they are on offense. I would have said they, you know, has Trey been out half the season? Because otherwise, how are they that slow on offense? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, right. And it's not only him. I want to stress that it's not only him. Yeah, no, 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 no. But he usually is an offense unto himself. He's almost been Mm -hmm. able to carry almost anyone to a Mm -hmm. good offense in his career, and he hasn't done that this year. And part of that's that he's not playing as well. I agree, and 
And I think, too, in an ideal world, what, you know, I would love to see see from Trey is, and we've seen it sometimes where, you know, he's not having the most efficient night. He realizes his shots aren't falling. And so he leans on his teammates a lot more. And so you'll see a quarter where he has like, you know, 10, sorry, not quarter, a half where he'll have like maybe only like nine, 10 points. And then he comes back and he finds his groove. And so I would kind of like to see that a little bit more consistently from him. It's like on the nights that he isn't having that efficiency from the floor. It's just trying to get everybody else involved, especially because he'll always be a threat regardless of whether or not his shot is falling because people are always going to be worried about, okay, it just takes that one shot and he's going to get into rhythm. And so for him to consistently be a threat in my eyes, it's just making sure he's continuing to collapse defenses and then kick out, making sure he's not kind of getting tunnel vision, which is sometimes what happens. And he throws up that floater and it doesn't work because again, his shots haven't been falling all night. (laughs) And so I just, I don't know if there's a lack of trust because he'll never tell you if there is a lack of trust within the locker room. We know that. I mean, I've asked before of whether he feels like this team has the right chemistry or the chemistry is is finally kind of clicking or getting where they want it to be. And he straight up said, we've had chemistry all season. And so it's it's just an interesting situation with where they are. It's It's just hard to see which way the wind will blow as things continue on. I don't know if if they'll if they're gonna be able to pull off a win in in one of these these four games here. Yeah, I think that it, it could be a little bit easier of a schedule than you might think, just because mm-hmm. there's no back to backs for one. That's very mm-hmm. helpful. Um, by West Coast standards, there are not as many. There's not quite the na- the uh, travel nightmare that there sometimes yes. is. Like mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to go to Denver or do one of those weird like trips to the middle of the middle of the West where yes. like you kind of have they're, they're clustered together. You have two in North, you have two in North California and then two in Southern mm-hmm. California. The opponents are kind of banged up. Like Steph's hurt for the Warriors. That definitely helps. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, going on the road and for four games here, and none of your opponents are bad teams like the Lakers in their current form are not great but they just beat you at home so like what are you gonna what are you gonna say about that um right. the Kings are pl- the Kings are playing well uh the Clippers mm-hmm. are obviously probably the best team of these four without Steph uh for the Warriors so mm-hmm. yeah I think that it's tough to like project a 3-1 road trip uh could the Hawks go out and go 2-2 two and two and get some momentum going here I think I think that's probably like which that's probably what the goal should be to be honest yeah. they're never gonna say that but getting a split would be a nice outcome for a team that is currently below 500 um, and anything beyond that would be gravy, but just kind of, you know, more, uh, since we're not in the locker room, we can say, uh, maybe even just getting, you know, getting one on this trip would yeah. not be the worst thing. <laughs> don't get swept. Don't, don't get blown out in these games. And, uh, I will say like just game for game, none of these are terrible spots. No, Hawks. no. They're not going to be huge underdogs in any of these games, which is uh, no. you know a better place to be. Like if you were having to play, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't even know what team it would be like a back to back with the nuggets on the second half, something like that, oh, where it's just this gosh, terrible yeah. situation. There's none of that. So uh, knock on wood, it could be worse. Let's just say. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't, again, I'm not saying I don't anticipate any, any blowouts um, on, I don't, I can't project that obviously, but I just, it's hard for me to see them getting blown out. But um, I mean, we've seen it, but I just, it, this stretch, no, but I, I, it's just still hard for me to see them completely sweeping anything going three and one. Um, obviously we just, like you just said, them splitting it would be great. Uh, but it, they'll be competitive, but I don't know 
again, I just, I just, it's just really hard for me to see them coming away from this West Coast trip, um, you know, uh, with a with a winning record, obviously, um, at seventeen and nineteen. So, I mean, if they can get back to five hundred on this road trip, then that would be great. But you know, <laughs> it, it, it also it also matters who's who's available too. like we've yes, seen I was just getting there. If they don't have Clint, they don't have Clint and DeAndre both. It's really hard for them to get stops. We we can probably talk about it if you want to. But it's like, yes, going back to what we talked about before, if they're not full strength, it's one thing. But especially if they're clusters on defense in particular mm-hmm. with Clint and DeAndre, two of their top three or four defenders on the roster. That's a tough sell in itself. Yep. I mean, if anything, I would say that they after this recent stretch of them not being available, I would probably rank them as the team's two top defenders just because of how bad they've been defensively without them. Um, so we know we know what Clint can give them. We know what he provides for them down low. We know that Nate trusts him to come out on the perimeter and help out there. So to me, it would be ideal if they if both of them or even just one of them could become available um we saw them i actually saw them um in some of the team's social media pics heading out to the west coast so we we can see that you know ideally the team is hoping to get them back maybe on one of these games on this trip otherwise they wouldn't have have gone with them right if the if the injury was more severe than wherever it is they are right now they wouldn't have made the trip so I think that's a positive sign that we can kind of take away from from social media. But ideally, uh, you know, you'd love to see both of these guys come back just because of how much of a presence they do have on the defensive end. And I don't know, I just you put you, you're putting DeAndre on, you know, some of the better perimeter players on the opposing teams. And he would have been a huge help for them <laughs> in, the, in that Indiana game. And so with with where Jordan Poole is, with where clay thompson is you obviously will hope that one Dejounte murray is on his a game obviously he can't do it by himself so you hope that they can get um deandre hunter back to kind of help out with that and and so i guess for you seeing how long these guys have been out i believe they've missed the last three games uh does it concern you that they have been out for three games hunter with an ankle sprain clint with a a, a calf strain I think Capella is the one that's concerning because he's been just ruled out the entire time. You know, Hunter, mm-hmm. they're listing him as questionable on these games mm-hmm. and ankles, ankles are very tricky sometimes, but mm-hmm. they do heal. And like, I, you know, that's not one that's going to suddenly become a two month injury. I don't think. Whereas Capella, they've been radio silent. I know I, I asked Nate before one of the games and he kind of just said he's getting better. But like there's not been a full update of any kind on Clint. And no. he came back. He also played one game. It was the same injury. He came back for mm-hmm. one game. He left with what they called cramps. Cramping. And then yep. now he's missed three games in a row. So, and calves are weird. Like muscle muscles are a little bit, a little bit more tricky. So, yeah. And also Clint, this is not a shot at DeAndre. Clint's just more important to what they do. Like I think oh, that yeah. he, he really just, he's their anchor defensively. Hunter's been very important on, on the perimeter, but, mm-hmm. uh, I've argued Clint has been maybe their MVP of the season. Uh, obviously, Trey is more important in the grand scheme of things yes. than Clint. But the way that he's played, he's played very well. And then defensively, like they've been, he when he plays, they're pretty good on defense this mm-hmm. year. Um, so that's that's the one that's concerning me. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on the Hawks Report. We we've, we've been talking y'all's ear off, <laughs> and so we don't want to we don't want to keep you guys from you know your 
your New Year's celebrations or anything like that that might be continuing on on Tuesday. So Brad, again, thank you. Tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, thanks for having me, for sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It provides Twitter, Twitter still exists when you listen to this podcast. <laughs> at, uh, at, at BT Roland, uh, like you said earlier, but I am the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast. And I also write a little bit over at Patreon. So patreon.com slash BT Roland. All those places you can find it on Twitter is probably the best place to find me. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you not that long from now. But listen, this is a long road trip. So it's like yeah. 10 days before we're back at home. I know. I was going to say, planning on heading out west? I am unfortunately not making the West Coast trip. Uh, I can't. I cannot join you on the West Coast trip, uh, but I'll be uh, raring to go when the Hawks return in like 10 days. All right. Thanks again, Brad, for joining us today on the Hawks Report. Daniel, what did you think of some of the things he said today? I thought he was spot on in a lot of things he said today about this team. And I think the biggest thing that I took away as we are now in uh, 2023 is, you know, the trade deadline coming in a little over a month. We talked about this for the last couple of weeks. You know, if this team was in contention or playing really well, they should be buyers at the deadline. But now after the week that they just had, you are kind of the backpedal a little bit and try to figure out what direction they might go in. You know, all the reports came out about Nate this week and they lost all three games. You know, Indiana, Brooklyn and L.A. are two games under 500 and uh, you're on a West Coast swing now that could be pretty daunting. Who knows what? their record could be heading home in 10 days. And so um, for me, I think the front office with even all the changes they've had, they got to figure out what direction this team is going to go in and what pieces are going to be key. And whether he said it's not going to be maybe a rebuild, but I like to use the word retool. And maybe that's the route that they might have to go here. Um, But I thought that was kind of striking to me as far as how things have turned so quickly for this team that we were, just a couple of weeks ago going, all right, you know, when healthy, they could be pretty good. And no, they haven't had Clint and they haven't had DeAndre, but I think the results, no matter if those two are out, should be a little better than than being two games under, three games under 500 right now um, on, on this West Coast trip. Yeah. And I was going to say that Brooklyn game, had they, had they gotten that one there, kind of a different story too, what we'd be talking about right now. But I think for me... In my opinion, they definitely need at least one other big man. Um, not nece- maybe not necessarily a center, but a more re- reliable four. Um, you know, this week we've seen some good things from Jalen Johnson kind of coming out, but it just still feels like he still needs a little bit more time to develop. And he's just been, again, one of those things that has been so up and down and inconsistent with this team. And so, you know, I, I definitely think we're seeing a lot of potential out of him, especially what he's been able to do in these last three games, but this team, it needs, it needs some more shooting. And, you know, with Trey and Bogey and even AJ kind of having some trouble knocking shots down, um, John has been having trouble knocking shots down. There's just not enough, especially with Hunter out of the mix. Um, I mean, Deshante has been shooting the ball really well, but again, he's not the go-to guy that they, they need. And so uh, I, it's 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 interesting which direction they'll go. Um, I know there have been a lot of questions about whether Nick McMillan should be, you know, relieved of his duties. And I, I, I don't know if that's really the answer. I mean, um, are they gonna get a coach off the street if if that's if that's the case? I mean, we've seen it done before. Minnesota did it 
a couple of years ago when they let go of Ryan Saunders. But I mean, who who would they be able to kind of pluck off the street and and bring in? I mean, right now, the only option that comes to my mind is something that I don't think any team should touch at this point in time, just because of the atmosphere, the 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 and I hate to say this word, the, the stench that's kind of still there. And that's, you know, obviously Ime Duka is is available considering what happened in Boston, but I don't think the Hawks should go in that direction. So uh, they're in a tough spot. Um, you know, obviously they have Joe Prunty as an assistant coach still there. Um, and we saw what he was capable of doing with the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago or four years ago when when they let go of Jason Kidd. And so, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that is an option that they they decide to do. But for a team that has been struggling to find some consistency uh, this season, I don't know if pulling the coach in the middle of the season is the right option uh, if you're trying to find some consistency. So, yeah, I that's just that's just my opinion. I don't I don't know what you think, Daniel, if, if that's the right move. Maybe they should. Maybe they shouldn't. I remember a couple weeks ago, I said I wasn't going to get into it, and then someone got mad at me for not getting into it, so I will get into it a little <laughs> yeah. bit more. Um, it's a tough situation, and I, I think as far as Nate's concerned, I, I don't think it should be off the table. I think there should be consideration of whether he's the right man for the job, and I also, again, going back to the last thing we talked about with the trade deadline, is what direction they want to go in, um, and... If this is something that they are going to maybe rebuild, retool, and kind of figure things out, then maybe a new coach is the way to do it and have Joe be the interim for the year and then wait. I mean, you never know who's going to be out there at the end of the season. The coaching carousel every year in the NBA turns so much, and coaches that should be kept are fired, and some that are, you know, not fired should be, should be. And so you just don't know who's going to be available and who could be the right coach out there, and maybe it still is Nate, but... I think you start to wonder a little bit, and I I think there's plenty of blame to go around. This is not just a, let's throw Nate under the bus, it's all him. There is plenty to blame to go around with this team, and look, with all the the front office, you know, if Landry's in charge, um, Landry wasn't the one that made the hire, you know, if he's the one that's going to be the one that runs this team for a while, then he might want to make a change, whether that's in the middle of the year or or afterwards. Um, Is it productive, really, to have make a coaching change in the middle? No, but it depends on where this team's at in a month or so. If this is a team that's showing that they're not making that run that we all thought they might, you know, and be a top four team or don't turn things around, then maybe you just, you at least give Joe an opportunity there at the interim, um, see how they play and evaluate everyone to go fresh into next season. So uh, I definitely wouldn't rule it out. But it is tougher to make a coaching change in the middle in, unless there's something going on behind the scenes that you just have to make a move. But um, I think it'll be really interesting to see, even after this West Coast trip, if they don't win a game or they go one and three, you know, you're going to be five games under 500 or four games under 500 if that's the case. And I go, the, the farther you down go the East, I mean, Chicago is right on your tail for nine. You could be dipping down the 10 and 11 range. That's something that this team does not want to go through again like they did last year. Exactly. And uh, by all accounts, from everything I've heard, Nate has positive relationships with, you know, the the decision makers in the front office. And so 
you know, I don't I don't think anything is is coming soon from the conversations that I've had. But again, like you said, a lot can change in a very short span of time in the NBA. And so, you know, should they decide to move on from Nate McMillan? He wouldn't be the first guy that they decided that that lost his job in the middle of the season um, this year. We saw what happened in Brooklyn and, and look where they are. They've won 11 straight, but the Hawks aren't the Brooklyn Nets. Their superstar hasn't consistently played the way that's been expected of him. And, you know, the the backcourt partner that they brought in to be that pressure reliever, you know, for better or worse, is still trying to figure things out, you know, on, on that side of the ball. And so, you know, I don't know if if a coaching change is what they need right now, but we won't know <laughs> until it happens. <laughs> Or if, you know, the writing kind of goes on the wall, I think either way, we can both agree that, you know, even though, you know, Nate, I believe Nate signed a a four year deal with the team um, last July, just based on how things have shaken out so far this season, regardless of whether they they do make a a run, you know, into the playoffs or, or, or get to the playoffs. I don't I just it's hard for me to see him being the guy next season regardless of how things shake out. It's just all of the upheaval, whether that's his decision, whether that's the front office's decision, it's just hard to tell, uh, you know, or hard to believe and, and and project or see him being back next season. So until then, the Hawks have, you know, a big West Coast trip. It's January. This is the time where teams need to buckle down and find that rhythm. And so, Here at the Hawks Report, we'll be continuing to monitor whether they are able to turn the corner. And until next time, I'm your host, Lauren Williams. I was joined by Brad Rowland and always my handy dandy trusty producer, Danielle Salerson. Thank you guys for tuning in and have a great week. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.